Daily Drive is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Innovation. Resilience. Agility. It's how Michigan businesses continue to work together to make a difference now and shape the future. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org slash radio. I'm Jamie Butters, Chief Content Officer at Automotive News, and this is Daily Drive Rewind, a look back at some of our nearly 350 Daily Drive interviews with leaders from across the industry. Today, we revisit publisher Jason Stein's conversation with Rivian CEO R.J. Scaringe from November 10th of last year. Scaringe discussed the EV startup's partnerships and its plans to do for electric trucks what Tesla did for luxury EVs. Plus, Scaringe reviewed Rivian's retail sales model. Stein caught up with Scaringe at a former Mitsubishi plant where new Rivian vehicles were starting to roll off the assembly line. Well, RJ, it's been a while. It's certainly good to hear your voice on the other end of my line. How are you today? Hey, Jason. Good to speak with you as well. Doing really well here. So I want to talk about where you are today. Uh, you're, you're in the plant in normal Illinois. And you've you've sort of taken on plant life, um, as it were, uh, as 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 sort of your own um, uh, daily existence. Tell me what life is like on the plant floor. Yeah, we're as, as you said, we're uh, I'm at the plant. We're in the process of ramping up and getting everything set. Um, you know, for us, the next really the next twelve months are are quite exciting. We've got the launch of our truck and our SUV. And then we're also launching our Amazon uh, vehicle, our, our last mile logistics vehicle. And those three activities are happening largely in parallel. And of course, the truck and our SUV, you know, have a really high degree of shared content, you know, beyond just the, the skateboard, but also inclusive of some of the upper body. Uh, but the Amazon vehicle is, is an entirely unique upper body and entirely unique interior, of course. So uh, bringing up multiple general assembly lines um, in parallel is what we're focused on right now. And how complicated has that process been for you? Give me a little bit in, uh, of a window into what you've learned over the course of this journey, which, frankly, when you and I spoke at our World Congress um, less than two years ago, uh, this was a, l- a little bit more of a vision than it was reality. But now you're in reality. What's it like? Yeah, I mean, the, the process of bringing up manufacturing and fat matter, developing a vehicle, launching a vehicle, validating a vehicle, um, I think it's often oversimplified. It's, 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 it's a complex process. You know, a, a vehicle has on the order of 20 to 25,000 discrete components. Uh, you know, maybe two to two and a half thousand of those are assembled in the plant, you know, meaning like a headlight comes in as a part, but it's made up of, you know, 70, 80 parts, uh, individual parts itself. So coordinating uh, the, the millions of decisions, literally millions of decisions that are required across all those individual components, uh, the software stacks, the electronics, um, you know, it takes quite a bit of effort and, and really requires a, a capable and robust team. And um, so we've spent, as, as you and I have been talking over the years, we've spent a good deal of time in the development phase and building our team, building our, our core platform and technology. And we're now right on the cusp of launching. So now that all sort of comes together, comes to reality uh, in the plan. And, you know, what we're doing here today really represents um, – sort of the summation of, of all those efforts. And you can, as, as you bring up the vehicle, you can see um, 
some of those challenges, you know, very much right in front of you. Uh, so you can see the trade-offs between packaging versus, uh, uh, you know, versus assembly ease and, and all those decisions that were made over the last, uh, you know, over the last several years, uh, you can now see and feel. So it's, it's really exciting that the team and the attitude at the plant is awesome. Uh, we're, as a company, we're about 3,000 people today. Uh, and at the plant, it's, it's just starting to really ramp up in terms of building out the, the operating workforce to build our vehicles at scale. How's the hiring going? And are, and are you getting some Mitsubishi workers back? Yeah, we're, we're, we're bringing in uh, quite a few folks really from across the board, though. I mean, we, we certainly have some folks that have come back from Mitsubishi, but we've also um, the to hire from really a nice selection of different, um, different backgrounds, different industries, so everything from construction, industrial equipment to, uh, of course, vehicle production, uh, and, you know, all from really largely uh, spaces where the mindset around manufacturing, the mindset around quality, uh, you know, really translates well to what we're doing. I know that quality and having a clean launch is something that the company is really focused on. Did you study any other um, models in order to ensure that you had the right kind of quality? Are, are you learning from perhaps launches gone wrong at some other startup companies? Yeah, yeah. The, the as I was saying, the the process of bringing this, bringing up a vehicle, and launching a vehicle is not. Uh, I think it, it probably looks um, looks simpler from the outside looking in. It's it's this orchestra of activities. Uh, you know, one as I just talked about is is the you know, assembly of the vehicle, putting several thousand discrete components together in a relatively short period of time. That that in and of itself is complex, but actually all the activities leading up to that are also complex. So organizing that orchestra of parts to come in uh, in tight coordination, meaning um, you may have every single part in the car, but if you're missing a windshield wiper, you can't you know, complete the car, you can't ship the car. So, you know, everything from the supply chain to the logistics to get the parts from the suppliers to the plant, to then the material handling within the plant, to then the assembly of the vehicles, to then the inline quality checks through the process, to then the end of line quality uh, and inspection, to then getting vehicles uh, logistically loaded out and shipped to customers. There's a lot of, of moving pieces to that. And one of the ways we, we uh, approach this to minimize minimum challenges as we're bringing up at scale is, is through validation builds and through um, what we call pilot or tooling trial builds. And so we've, we've done several of those already. Uh, we're in the midst of another 60-vehicle build right now. And it allows us to essentially check all those systems to make sure the way that we bring parts in from our suppliers, the way that we manage those the parts from, a, from an inventory point of view, the way we assemble the vehicles, the, the quality checks through the process uh, are all resolved. And we fix those issues before we attempt to, to ramp at, at much higher volumes. And that iterative process helps uh, minimize any downstream or later surprises. And I'm saying all that. Uh, there's always the risk of something surprising us, and there's always the, the need for us to build resiliency into the team to make sure we can rapidly respond to, to some of those somewhat inevitable uh, surprises, uh, despite the fact that we're trying to minimize uh, the number of surprises we have as, as we're ramping up. So I'm guessing your timeline is, is still on track. You're looking at 
really next year for the start of a larger scale production. Is that accurate? That's correct. Yes. So when we think of, you know, we're producing vehicles in the plant now, but we would call start of regular production. That happens in, in Q2 of next year. But what this, this pilot process does and the, uh, you know, the, these earlier builds, in addition to getting everything worked out within the plant, it also allows us to take those vehicles and continue to test them. These, these, you know, production representative vehicles, vehicles that are representative of what a customer would have. Uh, allows us to just continue to to run not only heavy durability cycles, but um, you know, just usage across uh, all the vehicle, uh, you know, operating domains or operating conditions. So cold weather, hot weather, uh, you know, urban, suburban, uh, all these different environments you can imagine uh, to make sure software stacks are really solid, to make sure uh, the vehicles perform as, as customers uh, as we intended to. The electric truck market is becoming a really hot space, even just since the time that you and I last spoke in person. There have been numerous other entries into the market. No one quite knows what the real consumer demand is going to be once those early adopters get those trucks. But do you have any insight into how Rivian views the market, especially given that growing number of competitors? Yeah, I think uh, it is, it's, it's an awesome thing to see interest in a space. I mean, the reason, you know, I've talked about this before, the reason I started Rivian was really have impact to drive change uh, in terms of uh, you know, acceleration of, of electrification and, and to see others come into the space and to, to know that we help spur some of that interest, um, you know, that's awesome. And I think from a consumer point of view, to have lots of choices is also important. And you know, the broader the variety of choices, the, the, the more rapid adoption of electrification will be. So, um, you know, as you think about consumer demand, you know, there's 90 plus million cars sold globally every year. Um, consumers don't want 90 million of the same thing. They want variety, you know, different brands, different, uh, you know, different flavors, if you will. So what, what we're seeing is, is uh, you know, with the launch of some of these other programs and announcements on these other programs we're seeing increased product variety, which is great. Um, and you're going to see people that are going to come at it from very different angles, um, which I think what's, what's critical there is that any company going into the space just needs to be really resolved on what their position is, what, what's important to them as a company, uh, what do they believe is going to create unique customer value, um, you know, and get, get folks interested about, about the products. Elon Musk told me the same thing in August when I talked to him on this program. You seem to have similar objectives, which is to get more consumers interested in electric vehicles. Do you talk to him at all? No, we we um, we, we don't um, uh, talk. But I'm but y- you share the same ambition. Absolutely, yeah. We're we're huge fans of what Tesla's done in terms of helping to make electrification cool. No, while, while we don't have a relationship with Elon, uh, we're certainly uh, appreciative of, of, what, of what they do as a company. We'll have more with RJ Scaringe after this. Innovation. Resilience. Agility. It's how Michigan businesses work together and continue to build the future. Our expertise, talented workforce, and collaborative environment are making a difference now and shaping the future. 
Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org slash radio to put your plans in motion. That's michiganbusiness.org slash radio. Partnerships have been so critical in the last year or two. I'm wondering if you can shed a little bit of light on what those have meant to Rivian. Um, and, and I mean partnerships from an investment standpoint and, of course, from a product standpoint when we consider the Amazon van. Yeah, from, from an investment point of view, uh, you know, this is, this is really a it's, – it's sometimes hard to recognize how much capital is necessary to really create scale and create structurally competitive costs. Um, you know, you know, costs within the, the way the vehicle is built. Uh, so we've raised about six billion dollars, uh, you know, to launch our products. With that, it's it's been a mix of both financial capital, but but very importantly, also some very strategic capital. And a really good example of that is our relationship with Amazon. So Amazon's a, a significant investor in the business, but above and beyond their investment, uh, there's also a commercial relationship where we're developing, um, you know, in very close collaboration with them. Uh, a portfolio of vehicles for the last mile uh, delivery space. And, you know, that's a space that, you know, is incredibly exciting <clears throat> in terms of the opportunity that exists to, to rethink not just the vehicle, but to rethink the ecosystem. And these are fleet, these are vehicles that are operated within a fleet to essentially manage or essentially control. So the way you think about, uh, you know, service, predictive maintenance, charging, all these things that in a consumer world, uh, you don't have complete control of the system, but in a fleet world, you can be highly deterministic. You can decide when the vehicle will be serviced and how it will be serviced. You can decide how and when the vehicle will be charged. So there's some really interesting uh, opportunities to learn what it's like to, to design a vehicle and operate a vehicle for a very, very large central control fleet. So that, that's an important partnership for us, and those vehicles we're developing um, you know, for this Amazon application, they're leveraging a significant amount of shared content with our consumer-facing vehicles. So battery pack, network architecture, ECUs, software stacks, uh, thermal systems, um, a good portion of our drivetrain. Of course, the chassis system and the body system are completely different, but the ability to leverage so much content to a very different application is, is something that we've, you know, specifically sought and, and you know, the pursuit as, as an opportunity, but it's also something that we uh, find really exciting from the point of view of you know, getting more electric vehicles on the road more quickly. Could you sell versions of your van to other fleet operators, or is Amazon the exclusive customer? So the, the vehicles that we've shown so far, uh, the, the Amazon vehicles we've shown so far, that's developed specifically for Amazon. Of course, the, the platform and uh, the architecture can be applied to non-Amazon applications as well. But, but right now, we're, we're focused exclusively on delivering that vehicle for Amazon. With the development of the R1T, the R1S, the Amazon van, did, your, did you just become overloaded in terms of product development that the Ford plan didn't work out for you at this time? Launching, uh, launching three vehicles in... You know, from first launch to third launch, roughly an eight-month period, and then there's a fourth vehicle, you know, the variant um, that comes in, so roughly four vehicles in a 12 month period, um, two of the being Amazon, two of those being very consumer vehicles. It's, it's just an incredible amount of complexity to digest really quickly. And you know, if you could, were to compare that to, let's say, Tesla between Model S to Model X to Model 3, 
you know, where that was over a five-year period, we're doing that in less than 12 months. Uh, that, you know, that's just, uh, that's a really, that's a large amount of complexity, sort of maximum complexity that we can digest in, in a certain period. So with that said, our, you know, our relationship with board remains really strong. And the, the program that we were looking at with, with Lincoln, ultimately we decided we thought there were some uh, more interesting and uh, higher value ways for us to focus our relationship and our partnership together on. We haven't discussed or announced those yet. Um, and, but I would just say that that's, a, that's an important strategic relationship for us as well. Uh, a couple more specifics on, on service. Um, it hasn't really been addressed yet in terms of Rivian vehicles. Uh, there will, of course, be over-the-air updates, but those don't fix the physical broken parts. Can you shed a little light on on how and when uh, the service plan will be rolled out for your vehicles? Yeah, the, uh, I think the key when we think about service is just first to talk about probably how to interact with consumers. So we're planning a, a direct uh, consumer relationship, meaning we're not using third-party dealers. Uh, that has a whole host of implications. Uh, it, 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 first of all, it creates challenges in, in a number of states that do not allow uh, OEMs to interact directly with customers. Of course, we're fighting those, Michigan being one of those states, Texas being another example. Uh, but the reason we believe so strongly that direct relationship is important uh, is we believe we're, that, that customer relationship and ensuring a great customer experience, ensuring consistent pricing, uh, you know, essentially eliminating any asymmetry that exists between the customer and the provider or seller of the vehicle for us is really important. So a symmetric understanding of, of pricing, symmetric understanding of, of everything from service to ongoing maintenance. So with that, that requires us to build a lot of those commercial elements, or I should say a lot, all of those commercial elements vertically in-house. So that means we're building... Uh, an entire digital commerce platform that allows vehicles to be transacted on, allows uh, insurance to be, uh, you know, allows a, a Rivian-based insurance platform to be launched, uh, houses our, our financing platform, but also, and very importantly, houses everything in and around service. And so the way that we've approached this is by, by bringing sales or retail and service in-house or internal uh, We've also been able to separate those two activities because when you look at the sales process and the service process, they're very different things, very different skill sets. For a lot of historical reasons, they've been aggregated together into what we sort of think of as a dealer, as a third-party dealer. But uh, service is not something that necessarily needs to be co-located or co-operated uh, with the retail aspects. So we're building a, a physical retail footprint that is our own. That's uh, supplemented by a very large digital footprint, meaning uh, you can take deliver in a car to your house. You can have a test drive come to your house. Um, you do not need to go to a Rivian center. This has only become more important you know, in a world of COVID. And then in a similar fashion, from a service point of view, we're launching a large number of service centers uh, throughout the U.S. This uh, in the next, really in the next nine months, we're launching 41 service centers next year. But in addition to those 41 service centers, we're building a very robust network of mobile service. Uh, so essentially service that will come to you, your place of business or to your home uh, to service vehicles. And what we're seeing is, and what we deeply believe is a significant portion 
a significant majority of uh, the service operations necessary on a vehicle can be done remote, can be done with this mobile service uh, network, which from a customer point of view simplifies things dramatically. I no longer have to think about dropping my vehicle off. Uh, service just happens. It happens, you know, while the car's at my house or while I'm in the office. Um, so that's, there's a, we have not talked about that, as you said, Jason, but there's a, you know, a massive amount of building that's happening behind the scenes within, within Rivian to set up the teams, the infrastructure, um, the digital platforms, as I described, uh, and of course, all the physical assets, uh, you know, to make that happen. Is it your expectation, RJ, that uh, by the time you're, you're in full launch mode and that you're, you're at scale, that most of those operations that you just mentioned will be in place? Yes. Uh, and what's interesting, the, the Amazon program uh, actually provides a really useful and critical um, service demand pool, if you will. So one of the challenges of, of launching a service network for, for a company that doesn't have a, a fleet or a car park to, that exists yet is on day one of year one, you need to have service supply, but you don't yet really have service demand. You know, largely because there's not vehicles on the road yet, uh, or not that many, and the vehicles um, you know, don't have issues on day one. At least they shouldn't. And even if they, any issues that do come up, it's a relatively small number of issues. So what, what's important to build from a service network point of view is you need the capacity in the supply side, but then making sure that you balance that with the demand side. So, of course, ramping up vehicle production quickly, getting a lot of vehicles in the hands of consumers is helpful with that. Uh, but the Amazon program uh, will be ramp volume really quickly, uh, supports that as well. And this service infrastructure that I just talked about, both mobile and physical, supports not only the Rivian vehicles, but also supports the Amazon fleet. You have a partnership with Cox as well. Um, will they be involved at all in that piece of it? In the service piece, they're not involved. There's there's certain aspects that we're, we're looking at um, for them to work on and, and to partner with us on. We haven't announced those yet. Uh, we have a great. We also have a great relationship with Cox. We've been um, exploring the different ways we can uh, work with one another. They, of course, have uh, they have a large service infrastructure that supports a lot of the used car business. Um, but that's something that we're closely closely analyzing today. Rivian uh, has been active in just in terms of. Uh, the revenue generation model that could be the potential based off vehicles, but are there any other big investments or is the company on, on, on sound financial footing to become a revenue generating company um, that could possibly sell EV credits in the future? The, the, the amount of capital necessary to launch business like this is significant. And, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about this before. I think it's, with the number of players coming into the space, inclusive of you know, the, the large existing OEMs, um, recognizing the need to create scale and to create structurally advantaged uh, cost is, is really critical, meaning one has to really invest in, in the capacity uh, to support you know, the, the cost to be competitive in the space. Um, with that, we've, we've been successful, fortunately, in raising a significant amount of capital so that that provides us with the runway to, to not only launch the products, but to launch all the infrastructure uh, around the commercial side of the business, as we've just described. Um, as we continue to grow and scale, we'll begin generating revenue, we'll begin, begin generating margins. Um, but uh, whether or not we continue access 
uh, you know, capital markets is a question, you know, is, is a, something we'll have to explore in the future. But it's not, uh, it's not something we're actively working on. This has been such a personal journey for you. Uh, you came in to talk to our editorial team several years ago, laid out the plan. Um, it, it, had, it, it is a plan that you began working on um, more than a decade ago. You also drove the first R1T off the line in normal Illinois. Can you talk about that moment and what you felt at that moment? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I didn't actually realize, I guess maybe we, I didn't even know, I don't, I didn't, I'm surprised you knew that, but yeah, I did drive the first R1T off the line. Um, this was maybe, let's see, two-ish months ago. In late August. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, we've, the, the process on putting all those pieces together, if I were to wind the clock back, you know, more than a decade, um, you know, I, I probably didn't fully appreciate the complexities involved. And, you know, this is not a task you can do with 100 people or 200 people. You need thousands of engineers um, working together. You need hundreds of suppliers. You need billions of dollars in capital. Uh, you need a manufacturing footprint that it takes year. It takes both years to build and, and billions of capital to build. Um, and, and you need to wrap all, all that technology, all that um, platform development into a product that ultimately generates demand that, that's interesting to customers. Uh, and that, you know, that uh, I guess that it's an understatement to say that that's uh, that's a difficult task. It's an enormously difficult task, and. Really, what allowed us to do that was the team was was getting uh, this group of 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 really passionate uh, dreamers, developers, engineers uh, to come together to design and develop products, to build the business, to support the development of those products. And um, you know, the driving off the line, what, what was for me the most uh, emotional part, Jason, was you know sitting there driving through out of a few hundred people. Uh, in the plant, all clapping, and me just thinking about how this is the direct result of all those efforts, and you know, many people missing birthdays, working weekends. Um, so that, that was exciting, and of course, uh, drove off the line, parked the car, got out of the car, and uh, then said to the team, "Okay, we've got a lot to do to get to go from building one of these to now starting to build, you know, hundreds of these uh, every day, and, and soon thousands of these every week." Um, so that was, you know, that was exciting, but, but we're, we're really focused on the path ahead. RJ, thank you so much for your time today. We wish you the best of luck. Oh, yeah, awesome. Thank you so much, Jason. That's it for today's Daily Drive Rewind. For breaking news, visit autonews.com. And for a library of our previous Daily Drive episodes, go to autonews.com slash daily drive. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks for listening.